Welcome to Bites of Light with Angel and Seth Rohr. Our mission is to bring bite-sized nuggets of information to be digested as you please. Take a quick bite or stay for the whole party. Pleasure being the main component of our mission. We will also bring other humans into our space to share their magical brew with us all. Love, service, and wisdom is what we are bringing to the table. Join us in our magical kitchen where what is being served is for your highest good. Hello all and welcome back to another episode of Bites of Light. I'm Angel. And I'm Seth. And today we have a very exciting guest with us. This is Seth's brother. Jared Rohr. Yay! Thank you for coming to play with us. Yeah. Jared, it's fun to be here. <laughs> yes. Jared and I both come from a family raised in the Mormon religion. We'll just call it duck and duck here instead of beating around the bush. And as many people may know and many people may not know, this it there's a lot of restrictive concepts and ideas within every religion, every organized religion. And the Mormon church is no different, right? They, You have to do things this certain way. You have to follow all their rules. And most importantly, you need them to be able to access that, that heaven, that good place that you, you know, of course, we all want to be good kids and, and get to that good place. So, and that's kind of one of the most common threads that runs through all organized religion is that they have, they have the power and you do not as an individual to access that higher power and all those things. So that is part of the, that's part of the subjugation, right? So anyway, we brought Jared on today because we want to kind of bring some of those things to light and to kind of discuss the getting, you know, the, the getting out as it were. And, and he and I, although we were brothers raised in the same family, we had very different paths for that. So I'll let, I'll let you kind of run with it here, Jared, a little bit and, and kind of share your story. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause I want to tell your story for just a <laughs> second <laughs> because our family was very into religion. I mean, we're like religious five generations back on both sides mm -hmm. and both of our parents are rock stars in our church. So we were raised kind of like religious royalty and that's our background. Well, in your teenage years, and I'm not telling all your story, but I'm just saying like in your teenage years, you were, you were like done with it and you weren't even out of high school before you were like, I'm out. I can't do this. It's over Bye. you were the first child. You know, it was like a huge family crisis. You devastated our parents. They recovered. All of us were just like, oh man, now we have a black sheep, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was like, it was a big thing. Yeah. And I say that because we were very different. I loved being Mormon. I wanted to be Mormon. It was my dream to be the biggest, bestest Mormon ever. Mm -hmm. So to want to leave was like, why, why would you do that? And why can't you see? And, and, and it's like, what can we do to bring you back? And, and this is so sad and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, <laughs> I was in it. Right. And I, and it's like, I grew up to, to realize I was gay, which is not a great place to be in the Mormon church. And no. I still, I was in it. So mm. our story is so different because I spent 10 years in conversion on in and out of conversion therapy, but like I was going to apply all the things the Mormon church had to 
offer. And I was going to be the spokesperson, poster boy, leadership guy for like, you know, anti-gay ministries and, and uh, how Mormonism is the best religion on the planet. That was good. That was my path. So yeah, it yeah. took me, I didn't leave till I was 37. You weren't even out of high school. And that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. And for those that don't understand the reference, conversion therapy is what it sounds like. They were going to make him not gay anymore. Yeah. Like that's, that is the mentality within that particular religion. I can't speak to others, but they, they actually have a program in place that you can come and say, make me not who I am. And yeah, is, yeah. And to speak to what you're saying, I was probably... I was probably younger than even my teenage years. I never aligned with it. It was like, you know, well, I ran with my friends and that was cool. And I, so I went because I had to, and I was probably 12 or 13 when I started not wanting to be controlled by these silly rules. And that's kind of how I've lived my whole life. Like people go, oh, you're such a, such a rebel. You break all the rules. I'm like, no, I just, when a rule is stupid, I just say, why would I follow a stupid rule that you made up because you're uncomfortable with other ways of being? So I didn't necessarily have that language around it back then, but I just thought, I, like, I'm not hurting anybody if I want to do these things that they've told me are so terrible and awful and no good. Like, you know, heaven forbid you have sex with somebody you're not married to, like, like that's going to change your life any, like enjoying this natural thing that we're given on this planet. And so, yeah, so it was very young for me, for me, I just was, and, and it led me down a different path where, because I was so young, I didn't have the power to stand up and say, this far no farther i will not be going to church i will not be practicing what you tell me to practice so instead i started hiding who i truly was from my family and being who i wanted to be out in public so i learned i mean ultimately i learned amazing skills of deceit and manipulation which i say amazing now because i've I've learned to never use those skills to harm or to harm myself or anyone else, but I can use those skills to walk people through some of their own limiting beliefs and help them find their own truth. Just because, you know, manipulation gets this like, well, that's a bad word, but manipulate literally just means to help mold into something new. So if you're using a skill like that in a way that can benefit others, then it's, it's a very valuable tool. It's evolved leadership. Right, right. So for me, so yeah, but it led me for three or four years. I, I led this lie and it was complicated, like juggling two different lives, all the different lies that string together and string together on one another. Like it used so much of my time and energy and my power to try to do all this that when it finally blew up in my face, as it always does, when you live a life like that, there's no way to avoid the point at which it all explodes and you got to face the music. It was such a relief, even though I was still living at home and I knew it was going to cause all of this, you know, this drama and, and headache and heartache and blah, blah, blah. It was such a relief. And that was when I committed to like, okay, I'm never, I'm never lying again because that sucked. Like that was, 
you know, for me, a big, a big moment there, but yeah. And at that point I was like, Oh good. The cat's out of the bag. I no longer have to pretend I can just say now, no, I'm not doing it. You know? And it was, it was a, I remember feeling some of those things too. Like it was big for the family and not just our family. It was big. And you know, like it was the, the echoes and ripples through the extended family. We have a huge extended family by most standards. We have like 40 cousins and, you know, lots of aunts and uncles and, and yeah, ripples through everything. And yeah, it was, but yeah, very different path than, than yours. Yeah. One thing that's been fun as I'm on through the other side, of it, I really feel through the other side of it, but there was this darkness. I was acquainted that there was this darkness inside of me that I didn't know what to do with. And within the framework of religion, it just exaggerated this darkness. So here I am trying to come to terms with this dark side. And I've come to learn that we all have a dark side, but I didn't know that as an 11 year old boy. And so I'm having these dark thoughts and these dark feelings and like this heavy cloud and some stuff following me, following me, following me, not all the time, but it's there. And I know it's there. And just the idea of acknowledging it is so scary. I would, I would classify the darkness as just wanting me to, to like hurt people. Basically, I saw a little special on Jeffrey Dahmer when I was, you know, an early young teenager. And I was like, oh, I have those thoughts. Like, I wonder those things and, and, and I don't know what to do with that. And so I just thought, well, you better turn, turn to your church. Maybe that's why I was so into Mormonism. So I was like, mm -hmm. without Mormonism, I'm going to be Jeffrey Dahmer. I have a dark side to me. I could. I could really do dark things to people. Mm. So I applied religion. I applied religion fervently for decades. And all it did, I mean, this is my story. All it did was exaggerate the darkness until it grew and it grew and it grew. And so my story with religion is that I was looking at, I, I thought, you're going to, you're going to like, this is inevitable. The darkness is winning. So you're going to hurt, you're going to start hurting people, which felt like just would escalate, you know, to murder. Like I thought I, I could do that. I could probably, by the time you lose this light and then you lose that light. Yeah. I'll be murdering people within years. You know, I was like, this is, these are like the thoughts in my mind. Sure. So what do I do? Oh my God. What do I do? You can't, there's no place to talk about this. There's no place to go. Religion was just like the devil has you and you're out of Jesus's help and Mormon leaders we're like we, we've done everything we can do and you're out of our power i was like you're just you're just helpless and god can't and i just had to wonder why can't god fix this darkness inside of me and guess what like oh i found so much answers as i've stepped out of this very limited paradigm called religion and so much healing has come to me and now i just well one i live in the light but I also love, love, love this dark, this darkness that fueled my, that kind of propelled me so, so fervently into the light, but I couldn't even begin to access it until I stepped out of religion, until religion had failed me in every plausible way. Mm -hmm. And I knew there was no going back and I could give up the concept that was presented to me of handsome square jawed Mormon Jesus and just move along, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is good that he's handsome. <laughs> well, I thought, I mean, I, I still. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I remember you told me a story of a gal that you had had spent some time with just, you know, during COVID who was like, oh, Mormon Jesus is hot. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they did. They really did make him look hot. Like, good work. No wonder he attracts so many people. Yeah. Yeah. That whole concept of, you know, when we, we feel those, like that, those heavy energies and those dark thoughts, like. I think we just had a conversation not that long ago where you're like, yeah, I think I'm the only one in the family who's carrying this generational, this DNA memory of this darkness. And it's like, oh, no, you're not. I mean, I've had these things too my whole life and we've just never talked about them, right? It just, maybe not to the same level. Obviously, I'm not in your head. I don't know exactly what goes on, but yeah, these thoughts that pop into our heads and, and knowing that we're not our thoughts, right? Those thoughts can be driven by things we've seen around us in the world that can be driven by that, that, that family history, that DNA memory, like these thoughts can come from lots of places and they don't define us. And our thoughts are not who we are. We are the, you know, the cosmic being that's, you know, inhabiting this body and this brain and the brain has the ability to do things. It's designed to do things for us and on its own. Like it is AI. We keep, we search for this artificial intelligence and these amazing robots. And it's like, we are them already. We are yeah. in artificial intelligence and amazing robots. <laughs> like the, the brain in our head is the most complicated supercomputer on the planet. Yes. And, you know, so then we, so then this thought happens and it makes drives and then it gives us fear. And that's the darkness feeds on the fear, right? Anything that's not, you know, born of love and, and, and peace is, is kind of that leans towards that darkness and fear is just delicious for that darkness it feeds it and it grows it so as we have that thought and then we fear that we are that thought that is a, a spiral of downward that has no bottom so like i say you you can't you know you can't go into a dark room and, and dump your darkness and expect the darkness to get away you know go away and you can't go with a shovel and shovel it out you just you start shining your light you know acknowledging that you are a bright shining light and go into those corners of those rooms where the darkness hides and shine your light and it just it starts to just vanish it runs from you because you're the one with the power as opposed to running from it because of the fear well and we know that those who dig the deepest shine the brightest and you are a shining example of that mm -hmm. you know you you went in and and held the darkness's hand and said come on let, let let's do the thing and you did you went searching and you found tools and you found healers and you found safe spaces to learn and grow and expand yourself to the amazing human you are now. What were some of those pivotal, pivotal things that helped you shift, like the tools or the people that you found or the processes mm -hmm. that, that, that you now live by? What are some of those things? A major one was a change in perspective, let, letting go of the, of like the decades of trauma that, of being locked in a perspective that was like, you know, God and devil and, and uh, sin and, you know, letting go of all that. And then stepping into this new idea that I just came here to experience. And so with a new perspective, all of a sudden darkness is just darkness. Like I didn't fear it. And I could, you, you nailed it. I could go searching for it. And I did, I thought, oh, well, if it's not wrong and it just is, then I'm going to go, I'm going to, 
I'm following this thing into its cave and I'm going to get to know it and understand it. And we're going to become friends and I'm going to, and I have to pretend I don't have it. And I found safe places to talk about it just like I'm doing now, but you know, I don't have any shame about it now, but when I was drowned in shame about it before the universe brought me places where I found safety to begin to, like you were saying, to shine the light on it and watch it scurry around as I shine the light, just scurry, scurry, scurry. And I was like, Oh, you're not so scary. You're more like a sad puppy, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to love you because you're you're so sad and you're so dark. So that's just a change in perspective, but definitely talk. I, you know, I had a lot to process and I, and, and I couldn't shed the shame alone. It couldn't be just between me and myself. It had to be in community. Yeah, you had so to I, find I, that container, right? Other people like me. I needed to... Um, know that other people shared, you know, similar things. And I needed them to see me in my darkness. I needed to say, this is what's going on with me. And then just experience the acceptance was like very, very, very powerful medicine. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you also spend a lot of time working on your diet, like physically clearing out your soul basket, which helps shift and move the cellular structure. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how you kind of deal with that? Yeah. Well, you know, I I was a you know I was a food addict and a sex addict, of course, because I was locked in shame. And so, you know, I was like starting to change my perspective. You know, double fisting donuts late at night in a Walmart parking lot, and I was doing that regularly, telling myself happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, and and you know, reminding myself of all these cool things I was learning. And little by little, I just started to crave different foods. You know, I'd been in and out of 12-step groups for food and food was just something I just could not surrender. I just could not give it up. So I thought, well, you're going to die and you're going to die fat. So your body's going to shut down, you know, because it already was showing signs that I was not well. But thoughts just started to come to me like, oh, I want to do this adventure. How can I find the strength to do it? And a thought would come, eat a lot of fruit, eat a lot of fruit, you know? So I just would kind of, follow these thoughts as they came to me. And uh, I just craved higher vibration foods and higher vibration foods. And then, you know, once you're on that path, the universe will present things to you that can resonate with you. And so definitely there were things that were resonating with me. But yeah, there was a lot, you know, when you live decades in shame or trauma of whatever kind, and shame is a form of trauma, hating yourself, wishing to die is a form of trauma. No one was, I wasn't molested. I, I wasn't, I don't consider myself like physically abused, but I did, and my parents aren't narcissists and I did have a stable childhood, but I still wanted to die for several decades because of my religious trauma. That creates a lot of imbalance in the body. So there was a lot to push out. You know, when you're in trauma, your chemicals change and you're not digesting food right. And when you're not digesting food right, all the systems in the body have to adjust and they all get tired and they all need refreshing and they all need a break. And so that's been part of my, part of my fun journey is also like learning how to love my body and listen to my body and give it high vibration foods, learning how to live in a higher vibration so that I crave higher vibration foods and things like that. Yeah. And I find supporting your physical soul basket by nourishing it properly, then your channel starts to open, you know, then, then there's more room for the light and to maintain it and 
you've also been on a really cool journey about learning how to follow your intuition and trust that inner knowing. Because, you know, in the beginning of the podcast, you talked about that, you know, your attention was on the darkness and you were hearing the voices and all that. But there are also light voices as well. Like the Toltecs call all the voices in our head the metote. It's like the marketplace of your mind. And at any point you can choose, you can choose where you're putting your attention. You can choose and start to discern what voices to listen to. And so through this journey, it sounds like you shifted your attention from those, those voices that were not serving you and now these new ones were bringing you this light and bringing you the universe and bringing you closer to your own intuition within. And then you start to trust it when this, when the synchronicities start coming up. I love that you brought that up because that that's definitely my experience. I started, these ideas started to come to me and solutions started to come, how to get the things that I, that I wanted. And I started to believe that I could have fun things. And I started to have these thoughts, these desires to want to play. I just wanted to play like, oh, as you're, you're clearing out all this heaviness and you're not so focused on the darkness, I want so much light and light comes to me through play. And I just started, I ended up relocating and new work and I relocated to a very gay city, Palm Springs, California, where I found all kinds of opportunities to exercise my intuition, to bring me, to bring me what I was wanting. And I guess I play has been this integral part of finding the light and being in the light taking the power away from darkness and so i i do i play a lot i i, I like to dance so i play through dance i i feel i want to just throw this out there i feel like i took what was the darkest of my darkness and transmuted it into something glorious and light-filled and in my darkness was all kinds of sexual shame and dysfunction and this pushing to thrust that onto others and to involve vulnerable people and stuff like that. In my, I get the chance to experience all kinds of sensuality and light-filled touch and sexuality in a way that is so healing and consensual and uplifting and body-affirming. And it's such a fun thing to recognize that part of i couldn't have done that if i didn't have that darkness like our light seems to grow in the fertilizer of our darkness like there's there's nothing That's darkness good. is like a gift yeah well and and we call it we call it darkness mostly because it's an energy that we were told is bad but when we take it when we take that judgment out of it it's just an energy that we can choose what we do with. Like I talked about with, with manipulation, the skills to, to shape and remold your world and others in your world is not inherently bad. But people consider manipulation a darkness because it's been used against them. So this darkness that turns to light, it does, it transmutes once you take that judgment out and shine your light on it and you realize, oh, this is just an energy that exists. What am I going to do with it? You know, and that's a beautiful example where you're like, yeah, I mean, I haven't met a church yet. You know, the big organized religions that, that don't shine, you know, that don't have this belief of, 
you know, you got to be really careful with sex. If you're using it for anything other than procreation, you're bastardizing it and it's bad and it's evil. And it's like, so people walk around with a lot of shame around sex and physical affection when it's just another, it's just another way to engage with the world and exchange energies with people. And as long as it's, you know, as long as you're not harming someone else, you're just playing with the energies and seeing what it is and, and flowing with life. You know, so then we, we can transmute that into something beautiful like you did, where you can help people feel what it's like to actually be supported and loved with no expectations, which is a whole other level of life that most people will die never, never experiencing. So yeah, it's, it's beautiful when you can transmute and it is, it's a transmission of thought because all things in life are mental. This universe is mental. So we transmute our thoughts and that changes our reality and it changes inside. And then that changes our reality outside. And it takes a ton of courage mm -hmm. and it takes a ton of energy. Like this, this work is not easy. So I do want to take a, a second and, and thank you for sharing your story and honor your courage because this is huge work that you've not only done for yourself individually, but your family generation lines of people and humanity, because as we heal, all heals. And so you have done some amazing work on this planet already in this lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. That is, that is such a sweet and special thing to say. And, and, and it resonates. Like I, I feel it. I feel like this voice in my head will just pop out of nowhere at any given time that says like, you won life. Yeah, you, won. you, you, you did, did the thing. <laughs> you did the thing you came here to do. Yeah. You, I'm not trapped. I'm not trapped in any darkness. I'm not trapped in any like mental confines. And, uh, you know, there's this thing that is really, really important to me about other people's agency. I think it's what allowed me to recognize that it was like, okay, darkness isn't bad. It just is. You can feel it, live in it or not. But anytime you do something to affect someone else's agency, that's, well, that's what I would consider wrong. Subjugation. I don't, I don't have the right to subjugate anyone to me. And yet the more I, the more I lean into this concept to live in the light, the more I see all kinds of natural ways that we accept subjugation amongst ourselves and we even call it righteousness in yeah. religion. Right. Yeah. We subjugate ourselves. We subjugate ourselves. We, we subjugate others all in the name of something important. So it's been, it's been interesting to sort through that, but I feel like that's the part of me that feels like it's one because I, now I can navigate life in a way where I'm always asking myself, like, just because I want it, just because I'm curious about it, just because it feels exciting, um, doesn't necessarily mean I need it because I need to ask my, I need to pass it through these filters of, is it subjugating someone else in some way, somehow? One of, one of the main examples of this could be marriage. Marriage is a way that we smooth over a lot of subjugating. So I'd like, I analyze that pretty deeply, but there's, there's a lot of ways, you know, in capitalism or religion, there's just a lot of existing structures where we just submit to subjugation and don't think twice about it. Yeah. Yeah. A, a teacher of, of ours who is, you know, 
becoming a peer of ours as we move through this life. Don Jose Ruiz says, said something that really impacted me a few years ago. And it was the most, the greatest act of love that you can offer someone else is to allow them to live their story. You know, we're all authors of our own story in the Toltec teaching. And we're all creating that story. And it is a beautiful story because we are authoring it because whether, and so whether I like your story or agree with your story or whatever, it's your story and it's beautiful because it's yours. And another thing I find people getting really caught up on is, well, especially when they start waking up to the idea of, of this greater source or the universe or whatever, this greater purpose that, oh, I want to change the world. How am I going to change the world? And they get really focused on this external changing when the real work is inside. The world that you need to change is the universe within. And when you've changed that, like you said, like if, if there's a winning in this game, that's winning. Like when you can be in that unconditional loving space for yourself and the world around you, you've done the work, right? The, then now you get to just enjoy the game and go with the flow and, and live the life the way that I believe it was originally intended, where we just, it, it's joy and love and ease, but you got to get there, right? We got to unload all of those filters from our from our religions, from our families, from the world around us that we pick up completely unintentionally. We have to set all those things down and in doing so, leaning into the light, letting go of our fear of the darkness, then discovering that we can transmute that darkness and then discovering that the darkness was always kind of a lie anyway and the freedom that comes with that. And then you can just, and it's all inside. That's freedom. Freedom can happens in here and in here when you stop giving that control away and giving that power away. Yeah, the programming is a thing and we are programmed as soon as we come into this world. Mm -hmm. And at some point, we get to decide if that programming is serving us or not serving us. And then you're at choice. And the amount of awareness, Jared, that you have created in your journey, that is why you, you are at the place of internal freedom now. And can hear the calls of the universe. And like, I love watching your life and where you flow. And, and, and like, I'm, I'm sure your spirit animal is a hummingbird. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, just, you go over here and, and then you ju you're just spreading joy wherever you go. And that's kind of been become your mission and kind of where the universe has placed you lately. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And it all, but I, I, anyway, I was, I'm reflecting on some of the things that you were saying, Seth, about how true love is letting someone else live their story. And in all transparency, like that is not easy for me. It's funny, like in some ways I feel like I've won and I'm on one given day, I just feel like I'm above it all. And I've let it all go and I'm just content. You can be religious if you want to be and I'll be me and it's okay. But it's really difficult with people who are closest to you to let them live the story that they want to tell. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult for them to let you live the story that you want to tell. And sometimes you just have to stop telling each other, each other's stories. Like you just have, you know, love can look like space. Exactly. 
Yes, that's so important. Yeah, it just because you allow somebody to live their story doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Like that's what people are like, oh well, if I if I allow this, I'm I'm condoning it. I'm you know, and no, you just allow it and then put the proper boundary for yourself, like space. You know, if that space is what you need, put the space. Yeah, unconditional love and allowance of another person's story does not mean that they have the right to then subjugate you or try to change your story because the first person that you need to give that right to is yourself. I appreciate it. My darkness is the thing that taught me to set boundaries. Mm. Sorting through the darkness, I had to learn so much about boundaries, boundaries with myself, boundaries just in general. In fact, fighting my way out of religion was, was this awesome catalyst for setting boundaries. And so that's an incredible point. You can't even begin to let go of, to let someone be free until you are very well boundary to say, nope, that's not for me. Nope, can't put that on me. Nope, I'm not showing up for that. Yeah. If you can't do that, you're always gonna be threatened by the person who wants, who just wants you, you to want what they want. They're not actually trying to hurt you in most cases. Right. They just want to want what they want. And so boundaries are critical and to be a boundary ninja is critical because it's, there's all, you know, for me, I feel there's a trauma in my body that when someone starts talking about religion, particularly Mormonism, particularly if it's someone related to me, there's a trauma that rises up in my body that I can't breathe, that this is going to kill me, that why can't you see that this was hurting me. Why do you still, you know, why can't, how can you still value this when it was so damaging to me? And I, I start to feel like I have to fight. The claws come out, the nasty words come out, like, rah, rah, rah. this is blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I want to fight. And uh, I'm just acknowledging that that's, that's normal to have a trauma response. And the more that I acknowledge that that's just my response, the more I can relax. And remember that true love is just letting someone have the story that they have, that I can set boundaries at any time. I'm not actually in danger anymore. I'm not 12 years old. I'm not 15 years old. I'm not 22 being young and naive. So I am learning with repeated practice. Every year I get calmer and calmer and calmer when topics of religion or Mormonism or when people are anti-gay, you know, and they, they keep talking about gay like a disease. Right. I find that I can actually say, I'm so well boundaried and empowered in my own life that you're allowed to think that gay is a disease and I don't have to convince you. Mm -hmm. That's right. like, that's huge. That is huge. That's huge. Well, and I think you brought up a really good point about boundaries and how you're allowed to own your trauma space and what you will allow in as you're healing. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like your example around religion is beautiful, but you could apply that to any sort of relationship or spiritual group. It might not be organized religion, all the spirituality stuff out there. And, you know, there's a, a whole, a whole disassemble of the guru coming through right now in our world. And having boundaries and saying no and holding that no matter what you can't abandon yourself in that space yeah. you know you are the one that's protecting your inner child right so if you say no whoever is around 
if they're going to stay in, well, in my case, if, they, if they're going to stay in my circle, they will honor and respect my no, even if they don't understand it. I'm a, I'm an analogy junkie and an analogy just popped into my head. You know, when you get a blister from your shoes and it hurts, if you keep trying to put your foot in that, in, in that shoe and walk around, that blister is never going to heal. And it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. But if you can put some distance between yourself and that and let the healing of that wound come, the healing of that trauma come, then there, in the future, there may be the ability to put that shoe back on. But if you try to put that shoe back on before that blister is healed, you're just going to keep opening that wound. And in our life, especially when it's family initiated, whether you know that trauma, whether it's narcissistic parents or the religion or whatever, we seldom will give ourselves that that distance for the wound to truly heal all the way so because you know we that we feel the obligation well it's family and in and in this 3d world we've said family's and the most important thing how many times have you heard that the programming is real family's the most important thing and so well i can't quit on my family i have to go to my family functions and we keep and we keep irritating that that blister that wound and keeping it from being able to heal all the way and wonder why 10, 20, 50 years later, we're still suffering the pain from this wound. And it's not a like, okay, if you take six months off, you're good. Depending on the depth and range of that wound and not because of the actual, the act, but how it felt to you in that moment and affected you personally, it could take decades of separation. It could take the, the rest of this lifetime of separation. Like we put so much judgment around that, but anyway, that analogy just popped in because I love analogies and, and it just makes it, it, it just well, it gives it a visual. Yeah. It just, you can kind of understand the concept a little bit better. Like, cause I've heard so many people in along my, you know, doing this work where they, like, well, I dealt with that. How come it keeps coming up? It's like, because it's not. Have you it, let it heal? Right. It's not healed all the way. So. Yeah. It's just a process. And if you, if you keep wearing that, if you let it heal a little bit or all the way and you put that shoe on, that shoe still has a spot that rubs you, but you take that shoe off. I'm going to take it a little further, but you take that shoe off before it turns into a blister. You'll build a callus. So that's where immersion therapy, I think, kind of comes in. Like, okay, I'm feeling good enough to be around my family, but I need to make sure that I limit that time if they're traumatic, if your family triggers those traumas, limit that time before that opens a wound. And now I can get in there, dance with, play with it a little bit and start building that callus to where now you build that strength to be around it more and more without being triggered, without feeling those things. And eventually it just becomes like, oh yeah, I remember that that used to, that used to really irritate me. And now I, my boundary is, my boundary is close enough and that I can be in it and around it without it being there. So. My favorite analogy is actually from Don Jose. Again, he said he, he, he's got his oxygen tank yes. and he goes in and when his air is out of his oxygen tank, he's out. Right. <laughs> that's, that's how he visualizes that, that practice is, okay, I can go into I'm this a scuba space. Diver. <laughs> I'm a, I can go into this space that will suck the life out of me if I don't have my security. Yeah. So my, my oxygen tank is my security. And, and once the tank is empty, I'm out. Yeah. Okay. I must leave. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, I have, well, anyway, I have a lot of respect for anyone working this process or who feels different from their family. You know, 
we're lucky enough. We have parents who respect boundaries. We have siblings who respect boundaries. Yeah. Our family doesn't look like a lot of other families and that we don't necessarily gather regularly, probably because we're all so busy leading the lives that we want to and trying to give each other space to have the story that you want to have. And even then, it's not easy. You know, when we do come back around, there's some, I'm experiencing some beautiful things happening, <clears throat> but it's tricky. I just want to encourage anybody, you know, if your parents or your siblings or your children or anybody does not respect a boundary, then that blister is never really going to heal. I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be some reciprocation and it is an act of kindness to say, we're going to take a lot of space off. Mm -hmm. And then I might, you know, like, or maybe we're forever taking space off because you've proven yourself incapable of respecting a boundary. That's a very, very difficult decision that some people have to make. I'm really grateful. I don't have to make it because Absolutely. Uh, there, there is value to repairing with family, even if you never see things eye to eye, you know, there's, there's some sort of blood connection or DNA connection that is very difficult to just be severed from completely. Mm -hmm. So it's nice. I would encourage anyone, if you think there's a chance, then do try to repair it to some degree. But if there's zero respective boundaries, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. Self-care first, self-love first. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is there one thing that you would like to leave our listeners with to help them along their journey? Just a piece of joy or a tool or something that you use daily? Yes. Yes. The thing that keeps coming to mind is one, it's worth it because on the, on the other side is so much room to play. I feel like we came here to play. I try to play a little every day. I try to do something joyful every day. Otherwise, what's the purpose of anything? You don't have to be well to pick your joy today. And you don't have to have everything under control to find people to play with now. And so I would say while you're doing your brave work and diving deep and crying the tears and saying the hard things and setting the boundaries and having the difficult conversations, just remember that there's joys waiting like now and you can be vulnerable now and you can invite in playmates now who will meet you where you're at and you can have fun today. That is so mm. important. So important. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. It's always a pleasure. I love our chats. Yes. You guys are great. Thanks for having me on. And it's so fun to have family members who are telling us story that you can relate to <laughs> well i love you and it's always great to see you and be in your presence whether it's virtually or in person and i'm very exactly. grateful for that and i recognize that is not something everybody can say about their siblings so mm -hmm. absolutely love all you guys too. all right all i love thank you for sharing your time with us if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast Please share it with others, post about it on social media, and leave a ratings and review. Hey, did you know that both Angel and Seth have books coming out in 2023? Stay tuned and follow us on all social media platforms at Bites of Light, B-Y-T-E-S-O-F-L-I-G-H-T. -E Thanks again, and we look forward to sharing space with you again soon.